Chapter 2 Winter Without Christmas Part 2 The next few days I spent confined to my rooms, not because I paid any heed to the old woman's tale. I had caught a fever and couldn't do anything save stay in my bed. Of these days, I remember almost nothing. I was told afterwards that bad weather had swept across the plateau, enclosing the village in a deluge of snowing, howling winds. It explained why, in my feverish delirium, my dreams were filled only with the white desolation of snow. Once I had recovered, the halls of the hotel were full of music and decorations. I have to admit, my mind was otherwise occupied. I paid no attention to the smell of food, nor did I respond to the festive spirit of the other guests. I didn't even long for my mysterious girl, the so-called Lady of the Snow. Well, I thought about her, but neither with yearning nor with lust. She was one with winter and snow. I could hear her beyond the reach of my waking thoughts. She spoke to me with the voice of the blizzard. It wasn't the girl I coveted, but the freedom of the mountains that she promised me. When Christmas Eve finally arrived, I realized how much time I had wasted on silliness and fantasy. For a while, the spell was broken. I was about to go to bed after an evening of eating, drinking and merrymaking, but decided to go outside for a whiff of fresh air. I was old enough to have enjoyed some schnapps and sought a quick remedy for my overindulgence in the pleasures of the table. My intention was not to leave the hotel porch. Despite the late hour, it must have been close to midnight already, the snow-covered streets were aglow with a bluish light. A movement caught my eye up in the street. There, among the shadows, I saw a slender silhouette, silently gliding. There was no doubt in my mind that it was her. I was tempted to run after her without delay, regardless of the snow and cold. The figure stopped, and I waved. If she knew I was getting ready, maybe she would wait for me. My heart raced, and she waved back. I ran to the ski room to get my snow boots and my coat. She would wait for me. In fact, she had come to meet me. That much, I held to be certain. By some incomprehensible instinct, I knew we wouldn't talk in front of the hotel. She wouldn't let herself be seen in the village. She didn't belong here. We didn't belong here. The open space in the desolate heights had called for me. Once heard, such call can't be denied, and, silly though it seemed, it didn't even occur to me to refuse the invitation. As expected, she was waiting for me a little higher up in the street. I stepped into the light, ecstatic. Before long, my mind was drifting like the snow. We walked through the village, silent shadows passing the houses. Not once did I long for a crackling fire or a feather bed. Under the towering peaks, these material comforts seemed both insubstantial and alien. Nothing mattered but the desolate wilderness and its enticing emissary. 
Many times I tried catching up with her, but as much as I tried quickening the pace, she remained out of reach. But for a growing sense of urgency and a feeling of inexhaustible energy, I have no recollection of our ascent. Part of me believed that only in the shadow of the highest peak or in the crevices of the most remote hollow would we finally be joined together. Only there, far from the constraints of civilization, would we embrace. The thought gave me strength and daring as we trod ever more dangerous paths. Snow began falling after we reached the ridge, high up on the narrow trail. She stood there, waiting for me. A dark and slender silhouette surrounded by a flurry of snowflakes. I hurried, but my blood was on fire, and there was a growing pain in my chest. I thought I had caught up with her, but she was already higher. I stopped for an instant, and came back to reality for the first time since I had left the hotel. I listened to the wheezing sound in my lungs, hands on my knees, trying to catch my breath. My limbs were heavy with exhaustion and the whirling snow made me dizzy. Behind me, rocks and ice hung over a pitch-black void. On the other side of the ridge, wide emptiness was waiting to swallow me whole. There was surely... There was no choice but to carry on. Surely, my guide was leading me towards a refuge of some sorts. It was the only way a human being could survive in such a place. As I walked along the ridge, I lost all sense of time and place. My mind was empty, save for the whistling blizzard and blinding snow. Many times, I think, a burst of wind almost threw me over the edge. At the end of the path, I found a deep hollow with a frozen lake tucked between towering peaks and felt like laying in the snow until the end of time. I tried to repress a shiver and felt my teeth chattering. At least, surrounding cliffs were sheltering me from the wind. The moon pierced the clouds, flooding the area with blue light. White snow sloped down gently. There, walled in by black screes and standing among gleaming blocks of ice, the Lady of the Snow was staring at me. There was an allure of wonder and mystery about her. I had to yield. I stumbled toward her. After a few steps, the snow was to my waist, but I carried on crawling through the barren landscape. My fingers were black and blue. Strange numbness had replaced the searing pain. Yet, despite the fierce bite of the cold, I couldn't stop. She was closer to me than she had been all night, and her whiteness almost dazzled me. I inched myself closer, still only to find that she had been further away than all along. With a cry of frustration, I hauled myself onto a flat rock. She let out a shrill, windy kind of laugh and turned to face me once more, 
more beguiling than ever. It took me a while to notice she had removed her shoes and her clothes. Only her long white hair covered her body. The sight of her naked body shimmering under the moonlight robbed me of the remnants of my sanity. (laughs) I had heard stories of people on the brink of hypothermia experiencing waves of burning heat and undressing in the snow. Part of me was aware of the absurdity of my actions, but I couldn't help it. I got rid of my coat and my boots. Meanwhile, she stepped in the icy water, casting me an enticing glance above her shoulder. I couldn't feel my feet anymore. Only a few more steps, and she would be in my arms, her soft white skin brushing against mine, her cold breath of my neck, the touch of her pale lips. I could think about nothing else. I was already halfway across the lake when I came back to my senses. Slowly, on the verge of collapse, I turned and gazed upon the desolate landscape embracing me. Against the moonlit clouds, the sharp outline of the surrounding peaks reminded me of crooked teeth. I looked down, a change in atmosphere almost imperceptible. A tinge of fear, maybe? When did my carelessness turn into caution and doubt? How did the change come about? The girl was still standing in front of me, smiling and flaunting her nakedness despite the biting cold. She was indeed beautiful, but the attraction was wearing off. I nearly lost my footing. The gigantic block of ice under my feet had moved. My first instinct was to attribute it to my dizziness and fatigue, but when it shook again, I looked down. The water around me was translucent, and something gleamed in the deep. At first, I thought it was the night luminary's reflection. I was mistaken. A titanic shape dwelled in the abyss and what I took for the light of the stars was the glint of its many eyes. All around me, a chaos of limbs and tentacles was crawling from the water, prodding at my feet with squelchy noises. I could see the girl for what she was, a luminous lure tied to a nightmare, like the glowing appendix the pelagic monsters dangle in front of their jaws. She was still smiling and glancing at me seductively amid the cracks and groans of the ice. I remained paralyzed for an instant, wondering how such a thing could exist. That madness finally overwhelmed my senses. Maybe I was still in bed, feverish and delirious. There was a crack beneath me, followed by a splash of icy water and an unearthly sound. The thing that passed for a girl had fallen over in the chaos and was still staring at me, wild-eyed and wailing. I stumbled backward and tripped over an inky black tentacle. It was thicker than my arm and quickly wrapped itself around my ankle. I made a feeble attempt to struggle. The creature's grip, however, was too strong. 
the wet appendage was clinging to my leg, dragging me into the water inch by inch. A wave of terror sucked the air out of my lung, so that I was suffocating even before drowning. I tried to turn over, in the hope of catching a last glimpse of the sky, before being dragged into the glacial depth of the mountain lake. But the Lady of the Snow was upon me, showing me her face for the first time. I wish I could remember her features. She seemed more ragged from up close, her expression both grim and unforgiving. She was older than I had imagined. Ageless might be more appropriate. I couldn't help but feel a surge of exhilaration as she kissed me on the forehead. She was something I would never fully grasp, terrifying beyond measure. And yet... Eerily beautiful. Looking down, I saw the water swallowing my waist. After a last look at the girl's face above me, I thought she looked like winter without Christmas. And closed my eyes. I wondered if the monster below would devour my soul as well as my body, and smiled as the thought of Christmas had brought back the memory of warmth and light, the jingle of bells and the glint of baubles and tinsels on the tree. I could almost hear a gentle, joyful chime at the edge of my consciousness, beyond the wailing of the glacial wind. I woke up on Christmas Day, sore and feverish. I was told that I had been found in the lake near the village. It was the old lady that I had visited who had seen me walk towards the lake in a drunken haze. Apparently, I had been skating when the ice broke under me. The old lady's husband, a stout man living off the ice trade, had pulled me out from the water and carried me to the hotel on his sleigh. I knew better than trying to contradict this version of events. The snowstorm had covered all the tracks, and I wouldn't be able to find my way back to the mountain lake. The fact remains, when I went back to the old lady's house with the intention of thanking her husband for saving my life, I was told he was working in the mountains and wouldn't come back before my departure. I knew the ice traders were rough men, hauling their harvest down the treacherous mountain paths but I couldn't convince myself that an ordinary man, no matter how strong or sturdy, could have pulled me from that nightmare. Algy walked back to his seat. He was rather stiff, as if his own performance had surprised him. I didn't know what to make of all this, Maybe I didn't know my friend as well as I thought after all. If I remained unconvinced, the same could not be said for everyone. From his spot near the fireplace, the leader of the order was staring at Algy, his eyes gleaming with approval. That went well, I think. You're such a wild romantic soul. You never told me about your gallivanting in the mountains. In any case, that was not a bad story by all accounts. 
but you could have made up a better ending. What do you mean? I thought the literary sorts frowned upon deus ex machina. Don't you lot despise easy plot devices? Would you rather have me lie to tell a better story? I don't know whether it's the place or the people. But they have a way to make you tell the truth. You'll see when it's your turn. Before long, I was back to my state of semi-torpor. Some of the storytellers breathed new life into worn-out tales. Strange forms and ancient nightmares were taking shape before my eyes as I watched the flickering flames. As the hour grew late, the nature of the stories began to change. New devils were lurking behind every shadow. Half-forgotten rituals were being performed in familiar places. Dreams were recalled, and doors opened. Something shifted in the air. A prickle ran down my spine. It wasn't the kind of fear that sucked the air out of your lungs, nor was it mere uneasiness. The cold and shadows from outside seemed to creep into the room, inching their way towards the fire. I've never been an impressionable fellow, and it shan't be said that the dark held any grasp upon my sanity. I must confess, however, that the atmosphere was wearing out my festive spirit, which is why I was relieved when we took a break. Steaming pots of tea and coffee circulated among the guests. Holding the porcelain cup, I noticed that my fingers had gotten cold and numb. After a few sips of tea, I was ready to slip back into half-sleep, but everyone around me was standing up. As tradition demands, we spent the next half an hour singing Christmas carols. The choirmaster avoided most of the modern and secular Christmas songs, Singing Frosty the Snowman, Walking in Winter Wonderland, or even Deck the Halls would have seemed wrong. In fact, most of the hymns we sang were in Latin, starting with the best-known ones, Adeste Fideles, Veni, Veni Emmanuel, Gaudete, followed by more obscure carols such as Resonet in Laudibus and Personant Odie. Some of the lyrics and melodies I wasn't familiar with. They sounded old, ancient even. I recognized some characteristics of medieval plain song. A few of the carols were in Greek and in Russian. At least that was what I assumed since I couldn't make out all the words. I would have expected a lot of mumbling and inarticulate humming from such a disparate group, but I gradually got carried away by the music. With my eyes closed, it was almost as if we were in a cathedral, singing with a whole choir. telling of stories started once again after we finished singing. I let myself sink into my chair and checked my watch, hardly believing that only a few hours had passed since we arrived. Midnight at last was fast approaching. In all likelihood, as per the college regulations, the room would have to be vacated shortly. I expected most of the students, especially the undergrads, would move to a nightclub or some other watering hole. Robert, who was sitting next to Edith, cleared his throat and stood up. He had been called to tell a story. I straightened, refrained from smiling, and listened with a renewed curiosity. If Algy's performance hadn't been too surprising, he had a wild imagination after all, Robert was another story altogether. Chapter 2 Winter Without Christmas, Part 2, featured Carmelo Viviani as Algernon, Michael Garamoni as Montague, and Peter Coates as the announcer. Sound design by Jamie Stoffer from JLS Audio. 
The Midnight Carols was created by Vincent Robert Nicou. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to tune in next week for a new tale of terror. <laughs> <laughs>